What's up guys, I'm Alex at generalguible.com. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Heart Dance Producer Network podcast. My guest today is none other than the legendary Rob G. If you haven't heard about Rob G and you're into the hard dance music, you definitely lived under a rock. He's been around for more than 25 years, he played everything you can imagine, he did everything you can imagine. Very interesting conversation I got with him, the interview went a little bit out of hand and we recorded way too much material, so I'm gonna split it up in two parts. First part, he's talking about how he got into hardcore back in the 90s was a very different thing. How he cheated his way in one of the hottest clubs in New York and how everything began for him and how, you know, he ended up where he is today. The second part, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the state of hardcore today, about production, about sampling and all that good stuff. Anyway, you shouldn't miss out on that one because it's a very important part of history. It's his history, but also a lot of hardcore history overall all which he's mentioning in this episode that's pretty much it let's get started let's roll the fucking music welcome rob g you're listening to the hard dance producer network the number one producer podcast for the harder styles hosted by general geibel Let's get started. <laughs> Got the special mug with, uh, you know, these uh, two sexy motherfuckers on it, you know? <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, hot Fernando, of course, you know? <laughs> That's my nickname in Berlin. <laughs> yeah. Well, not just like in Berlin, period. Like, period. <laughs> like, you know, amongst my friends uh, over there, when, when I, my, my friend Pierre, you know, who... Uh, does the shooting we just he's like what's up with that i'm like oh i'm hot fernando (laughs) (laughs) wearing that robe (laughs) really good really good yeah what was it big big daddy g or something like you big daddy g that's also yeah we got big daddy g aka hot fernando (laughs) aka dj sexy bastard (laughs) aka mr delicious you know we got all sorts of shit happening (laughs) That's really it. good <clears throat> all right mr rob g yeah what should i call you call me alex okay because <laughs> <laughs> you like myself have you know many many aliases you know some people know about and some people do not <laughs> exactly maybe we'll they know the maybe they don't <laughs> stranger things happening here yeah lots of crazy things yeah <laughs> so how did you get into production? When was it? How did it came about? And most of all, how did it end up being hardcore? Because we know you started in the early 90s and back then no internet. How did you get in touch with hardcore? Well, yeah, I mean, um, well, yeah, the early 90s is when I started with hardcore, but, you know, it, it, it goes back into the 80s. So I want to say somewhere around... I don't know, 1983, 1984, you know, hip hop started to become like a thing, you know, um, spreading out from, you know, the urban part of, uh, urban cities, you know, into the suburbs a little more where I'm from originally Harrison is it's a little bit of both, you know, you know, um, it's not definitely not suburbia. Um, and, uh, 
but it's not completely urban either. But right across the water was Newark, which is very urban. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, I was already listening to my ACDC and my Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, of course. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, know, Metallica was becoming a thing, uh, Anthrax. uh, So, um, like, I was already interested, like, in that and was, like, at the time trying to play bass and definitely, you know, vocalize. But very and i was always into that i never stopped with that part of it but um hip-hop really blew my mind and like and i mean all the elements of hip-hop you know the djing the emceeing you know the graffiti writing and the break dancing so like you know every day you know um i would have my cardboard you know out and i would start you know break dancing and uh, literally every day every day and um i um yeah, I would, I would do some graffiti writing. Um, and I definitely would try, you know, I, you know, my hand at like, you know, I would, I would first, I would just start to rap to whatever I was listening to, whether mm-hmm. it was Grandmaster Mel Mel and the Furious Five or Run DMC, just copying that. And um, <clears throat> yeah, during this time, it was actually a little bit of a difficult time for me. I want to say this is probably, uh, I guess, like sixth, seventh grade, you know, um, probably more like sixth going into seventh, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, uh, well, not kind of, I was bullied like in grammar school, you know, um, uh, mentally, you know, it wasn't too much, wasn't really too much physical, but I mean, literally like the whole class and we were only like a small class of 15 people, you know, in my, uh, Catholic grammar school. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was sad. You know, I, I really didn't have like, you know, I went from like when I changed that school to being like very popular and yeah. like, like, but I think the, the kids who used to be popular didn't like that I became popular right. and they turned on the guy who was the most popular and were like, kind of like, you know, uh, either you're with us or with him, you yeah. know? And of course he chose them and then, yeah, that was it. So, I mean, it was bad <clears throat> to the point where I would take as much time as for lunch as possible just not to go in the, the play yard. Like I said, it was more, you know, mental abuse, like name calling and stuff. And I mean, like I said, you know, uh, but during this time, I couldn't wait to get home. I couldn't wait to put on my big boom box in my backyard and start fucking breaking and stuff. And uh, yeah. And then one day um, I had the balls to show up at my school dance where, you know, everyone did not like me and like Nucleus's jam on it came on and I just said, fuck it. And I started doing my shit. And like, as much as they might've hated me, they couldn't deny the skills. It wasn't like I went out there and made a fool of myself. I went out there and I was able to do like the difficult moves, like windmills and head spins and my footwork was fucking dope. Don't know how dope I'd be today, but uh, (laughs) at whatever year, whatever uh, age that is, 12, 13 years old, pretty damn dope, you know? And that kind of gave me, empowered me by the time I got to eighth grade that, you know, I started speaking out in class a lot more, like at the teacher, not like in a mean way, but I would make jokes and they were funny. I realized, wow, I'm actually a funny guy. And, um, 
you know, I, I think I'm a pretty funny guy today. <laughs> so yeah, I held yeah, out yeah. there's, the there's definitely a comedian lost in you, I think. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. So I think I held on to the comedy. Don't know if I uh, would be such a great break dancer, but, uh, right. and, uh, yeah, my mother, um, uh, she blessed me, uh, with, for eighth grade graduation by buying me my first set of turntables and mixer. You know, it was not the 1200s or anything. I mean, she, you know, she couldn't afford that. And, and that, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm not complaining, you know. Yeah. It was like a, a two Technics SLBD1s, you know, with the straight arm, you know, the, the rubber band drive. So not right. even direct drive. I had to put pennies on top, you know, uh, this Gemini mixer. Uh, and uh, I didn't have a, I had a receiver instead of a power amp, but it does serve the same purpose and some decent speakers. And yeah, I started to collect my vinyl and, uh, you know, obviously at, at, at this time it was mostly, um, you know, hip hop, uh, but also, um, what we were calling, well, club music. And I'm talking about like things like divine lime. It was like the post disco era of the early eighties, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Uh, rockers revenge, you know, um, anything on Streetwise Records or the early Tommy Boy. Uh, and then also, um, because I wanted to DJ other places, I also kind of liked it. We had this thing called freestyle, which has nothing to do with freestyle as a subgenre of hardcore. Yeah. We're, we're talking about, it's also referred to as Latin hip hop. Yeah. Uh, you know, Johnny O, Cynthia, Noel, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, that stuff I, you know, would spin, but hip hop was like my thing. And like all the 12 inches always had a, a B side with the instrumental. <clears throat> so I went from, you know, reciting the lyrics that were on the record to making my own, you know, and I would just record them to a set with my own raps and everything. And, you know, and then I started to take, you know, the bass a little more serious because I still want to be in a band you know, playing bass and, uh, you know, singing. Actually, originally I wanted to be a guitarist, but I found that too difficult at the time. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't really get the chord things going at, at that, at least in that time. Still can't that well. <laughs> uh, I could come up with a great guitar riff, but I prefer someone who knows how to play guitar, play it for me, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll hum it or or kind of play it and say, but you do what I was just trying to do. Right. You know? <laughs> And no shame in that, you know, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, as I, as we go into high school, so here I am, you know, DJing hip hop and, uh, you know, playing bass and singing the speed metal group, which never went anywhere. I mean, I think we, we played my mother's living room once <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> practiced a lot, but yeah, the only show I think was in my mother's living room for like maybe one person. <laughs> I, I don't know. Your mother. <laughs> No, well, she, she right now. She was like, "Fuck <laughs> that, I'm out." <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, and, and and not such a hard way, but like, kind of like, I don't think I could take this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but my mother has always supported me from day one and continues to do so this day, and uh, wouldn't be where I am with without her support. Um, hi, mom. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was so I was cultivating these like you know two different genres, you know, uh, you know, into my like own thing, because I thought it was cool to have, you know, guitars in the hip hop stuff. But I also yeah. thought it was cool to kind of like, not just sing, but rap in, uh, you know, the metal stuff, you know? Right. And, you know, then, um, 
even my name, Rob G, like, okay, so my real name is Robert Gilmore. It's no secret. It also has a G. A lot of people think, well, that's where he got the G from, obviously. And then uh, that's that's not true. It's um, at the time when I was breakdancing and, you know, doing all this shit, you know, pop, that's popping. Sorry, you know, popping <laughs> and breakdancing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was calling myself Freeze, F-R-E-E-E-Z, which I stole from the Streetwise record from a group called Freeze, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which has songs like Pop Goes My Love and stuff like that. And uh, so, uh, and, and a bunch of other great ones. Uh, and I even had like a, a name tag that fucking says that shit. I, I might even have it. Maybe I'll grab it later for, uh, you know, we'll take a little video or something. <laughs> you could put that in. Boom. But um, yeah. <laughs> Freeze. <laughs> <clears throat> but so... But my white peers, because, you know, Harrison, you know, at the time uh, was predominantly white. And, um, you know, unlike today, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know, people kind of just hung with their own, I want to say, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's just the way it was. You know, I never looked at it that way you know like to me like a good human being is 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 a good human being because there's uh good and bad and you know every race race creed color you know any kind of job whatever so i will never judge a person by you know like the, the color of their skin or what religion they are or whatever i i go by the you know the human being yeah. so yeah man going to school i would hang in the back of the bus um and you know you know i and because in the back of the bus to my right was this, you know, one black dude who always had the boom box and he was blasting, you know, run BMC and EPMD and the other guy who was his boy who was, they were both going to work. They were grooving. And I would start saying the lyrics and they were like, damn, you know, this white boy knows, <laughs> knows, knows, knows his shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> similar situations would happen at the, my earlier jobs. Like I used to be a bus boy at a, Carbone's restaurant, Italian restaurant. And, you know, um, you know, the waitresses were cool, but I had more fun bringing the dishes in to the back, you know, uh, you know, to, with, with the, you know, the guys who were washing the dishes and also to pass the time we would wrap whatever fucking the new jam was, you know, yeah. you know, fucking Marley Mall's the symphony with big daddy Kane and fucking cool G rap. And, you know, those guys and uh, yeah, I would do that. But back to the name, sorry, I don't mean to go off on so many tangents, but okay. so much to tell, so much to tell. So uh, what do you say? I, I digress. So, all right. So Rob G started, it was kind of like a sarcastic nickname by my white peers. They, because uh, they would see me break dancing and instead of having my Iron Maiden vest on, I got my Adidas track suit and my fat laces and they're like, oh, look at this. Robbie's a G. He's a G money. He's he's a G gangster. What are you gonna do? Spin on spin on your head for us, Robert G? Is that what you're gonna do? And you know, I was like, I, I kind of liked it. You know, not necessarily as the Robbie G, but I was like, you know what? I I wrote it down. And first, I was writing Robbie G, R O B B I E, and then just the G. And I was like, I don't know, it's it's okay, but it kind of reminded me too much of one of these freestyle artists that I'm. Um, you know, talking about Johnny O and Robbie G and, you know, it's just a little too suave for me, you know, at least at the time. And so then I wrote Rob with just the G 
And then the G looked very lonely. <laughs> it was this lonely little G. <laughs> yeah. So I added two E's and it was like, Rob G. I'm like, all right. And six is my favorite number. So there was that. There was a nice balance. And for me, you know, that was saying something about like, you know, equality and just being equal because I was kind of catching shit, you know, for being involved with what I was being in, but I didn't yeah. give a fuck, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so that name stuck. It stuck as my, at the time, my breakdancing name, which would later be my MC name, DJ name, graffiti name, whatever, you know? You know, I guess I didn't try to hide too much who the fuck I was. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, the same thing today. I mean, no matter what genre I'm in, I don't, no disrespect to anyone who wants to put on, you know, different names or whatever. But me, I prefer to be like the Beastie Boys. You know, if you're going to make a punk song, call yourself the Beastie Boys. You're going to make a rap song, call yourself the Beastie Boys. I'm the same. I've, I've definitely gotten a lot of heat of it, heat, heat for it throughout the years. But again, I don't give a fuck. Fuck you. It's, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm Rob G, you know, right. listen to what you like and enjoy that. If you hate it, I mean, I don't, I don't listen to music. I hate, I turn it off. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So now that I got a bit of a backstory. So into high school, you know, kind of stopped with the graffiti, but the music stuck, you know, you know, break dancing start to kind of fade out. But again, the music stuck and, uh, I remember, you know, you know, Rick Rubin, my utmost fucking idol, uh, favorite producer. Legend. You know, best. He, yes, the best, yeah, the best, the without best. a doubt. You know, fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers, Public Enemy, System of a Down, Slayer. Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing. We could go on and on yeah. and on. Uh, well, also the guy who got Run DMC and Aerosmith together, you know, to do yeah. Walk This Way. <clears throat> And all due respect to Aerosmith, who I dearly love, it was at a time where they kind of did definitely fell off. And uh, he did something revolutionary, you know, with, with that song, got them in the studio. And I was like, wow, this, I mean, I was already a fan of Rick Rubin, you know, for yeah. just what, what he already did with, <clears throat> you know, uh, Def Jam recordings. Even the first, technically the first Def Jam record would be It's Yours by T. The Rock, you know. It was mm -hmm. like party time, but it had the Def Jam logo until he got linked up with Russell Simmons, you know. Um, but, you know, um, I was like, wow, like this, this, this really like is, is something. And then I, I think around the same time, he also, Rick Rubin also pressed Slayer's Rain and Blood on <laughs> Def Jam recording. Like, what the fuck, man? It's <laughs> like the hip hop label and uh, Def Jam recordings. I'm like, I am definitely in the right fucking place, you know. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and of course, you know, the Beastie Boys were already around for six, seven years, first as a punk group, and then kind of like tried their hands with like a hip hop sort of thing with Cookie Puss and stuff. And mm -hmm. then they were on the earlier Def Jam records with Beastie Brew, but it wasn't until, of course, License to Ill and Fight for Right to Party broke the barrier down. So I think between Walk This Way and the Beastie Boys fight right to party and later the whole license to ill album as well as the whole Raising Hell album for DMC really blew it hip-hop, in my opinion, out to suburbia. And the reason I say this, not just because it's true, because now these same white kids that were making fun of me <laughs> for 
liking all this black music, as they said, were like, yo, man, yo, Rob, yo, G, yo, G, could you, could you record me the, the new LL Cool J? Could you record me the, the new Public Enemy? Could you make me run DMC tape? And I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. So I, I love the music. I wanted more people to share these yeah. vibes with me. So, uh, of course, I made those tapes. And, you know, these are guys are, and girls that are now today still loving uh, at least the hip-hop from that era, you know? Yeah. And uh, let me just have a quick little, you know, again, this is brought to you by uh, Mr. Boss Meister and Rob G. Fuck the politics. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so yeah, so, you know, and then also during this time of high school, the mix, kind of mixtapes I was making was crazy. Like, you know, I would go from Run DMC, but into Slayer, you know, into like Luciano Pavarotti, <laughs> into yeah. Public Enemy, into Frank Sinatra, because... To me, good music is good music, and I didn't give a fuck. Right. And like at the time, you know, my hair was kind of long. I was, uh, you know, playing soccer. Eventually, became the captain of my soccer team or football. Oh, oh, over team. here, over here, we call it football. Please, yes, football. Yes, captain <laughs> of uh, my football squad or league <laughs> matches or something. Yeah, well, the match is what you play. Yeah, and instead of a game. Yes. Okay. So. <laughs> I was the captain of the football team. <laughs> if, if we're using European terms, or actually worldwide terms, minus right. America. And I think Australia. <laughs> I think Australia uses soccer also. Oh, really? I think so. Okay, we, might have to, we might have to fact check that one, but um, I'm not sure. America, definitely soccer. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so I was making these crazy mixtapes. You know, I mean, to me, they weren't crazy, but everyone was like, you know, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, this yeah. isn't done. And, yeah. um, like I said, I had the long hair, but I had like the, at the time I had the ultimate Guido car. It was like this, uh, 1986, uh, Camaro IROC Z. It was basically, you know, um, reserved for people like, yo, yo, how you doing? Yo, what's going on over here? Hey, hey lady, you want to get in my, uh, you want to get in my fucking car? We take a little ride. Um, you know, it was, it was that, but I had like the metal and bass and this, you know, You know, side note, you know, even though that was completely normal to do and uh, no foul play ever happened, I don't think you could do that today. Hey, what's up, stranger? Get in my car. No fucking way. She's going to say, gonna she's gonna say I felt emotionally raped or something. Like, <laughs> you can't I'm, do yeah, shit like that today. Yeah, times have changed. I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, and I, 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 I'm glad they're changed because I, I, I don't. I don't want a stranger in my car, you know. Uh, you know. But how are you going to yeah. hook up with chicks? What's that? How are you gonna hook up with chicks if you can't? I know you need the car. The hey, what's up, ladies? <laughs> then, then, then you gotta go on the internet and then like you find all the creeps and the whole blind dating shit and like you know, so like nobody wins at the end. But that's a different yeah. topic. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I guess, I guess, uh, I'm still old school. I guess if I'm in line, uh, you know, getting my uh, my my lunch meat and uh, hey, let me get a half a pound of turkey, and I'm like, hey. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> what's up, girl? Hey, what's up, girl? What's up? <laughs> so that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah, it should be careful. It should be careful. Because different times right now, she's going to say like, oh, she he sexually harassed me or something. No, he was getting turkey meat, but he said... Yeah. He, he was, he was with, with turkey meat. He was implying something else, and like I felt emotionally raped and shit. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. We I can't have that. So yeah, honestly, <laughs> like 
So yeah, so right now I'm not like not dating. So <laughs> I just keep my mouth shut. Even girls I know are like, hello. I'm like, okay, hello. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the it's a serious topic. Right. <laughs> Definitely should not make light of it. Uh, but uh, everyone be safe out there in every way possible. You know. Yeah, times definitely changing, bro. As you said, like you've been mobbed back then in school. Doesn't happen nowadays. Like, oh no, like, no! No, no, doesn't happen. Like um, a friend of my wife, uh, she's a school teacher. She was telling stories like, you know, there's a boy identifying as a girl and shit. I was like, whoa, that poor dude. Like, you know, he's probably getting a beating after another because that what's, would be happening when I went to school back Yeah, then. absolutely. And she's like, no, everybody's like very kind, tolerant and understanding. I mean, that's a great thing. Cause, I agree. Uh, I agree. When I was growing up, it was definitely a fucking jungle, you know, like. No, it was. I mean, yeah. and, you know, to, to bring that up, I mean, like, you know, like, you know, we, we definitely did have, um, we, well, in, you know, in, in my time of, you know, grammar school in the 70s, you know, high school in the 80s, you know, um, I don't recall the term as identifying as another gender, uh, but definitely gay, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, whether, uh, I mean, I would always find myself, you know, um, you know, if, if someone like that was being harassed, I would definitely come to, to their aid, you know, and stick up for them, you know, because again, you know, a good human being is a good human being, you right. know, and, uh, and that also, you know, you know, it wasn't just, um, for someone's sexual orientation that I would, you know, like, uh, cause even though like I was even, you know, you know, bullied, you know, like, uh, I still wanted to stick up for at the time, someone who was the underdog. And like, you know, I remember also, you know, besides like, you know, sticking up for my, uh, you know, my homosexual friends, um, I would also stick up for other races because yeah, there was definitely a lot of, uh, you know, racial slurs thrown around, you know, and again, to the point where people, you know, a lot of my, you know, white peers at the time, you know, a lot of people have grown and changed, of course, now, but at the time we're like, I don't, I'm not going to say the words, but why are you hanging out with this? And why are you hanging with that? You know? And, uh, I was like, oh, I, cause I like them. They're my friends, you know? And, uh, that's just how it is. You know, you know, this is my, you know, Spanish friend. This is my Puerto Rican friend. This is my, you know, black friend or African-American friend, whatever you, you know, choose. But I, think, um, I feel like, you know, in this terms, um, times definitely change for the better. Because um, I also remember growing up, um, there was a lot of shit like that, like this whole homophobia, this uh, racism and shit. I mean, like I was an overweight Russian kid who barely spoke German like i also got like a fair share of like bullying and shit you know i'm sure you did yeah and um i feel i feel like nowadays i don't maybe I, i'm not around those people too much because like you know back then you're in school you don't choose who you hang out with but right maybe i i also live in a bubble but i don't remember like for quite a long time where i you know witnessed like homophobia or racism and shit like no i mean like listen it, it's definitely still out there no, but no, no, of course will, of course yeah what, what i will say though is with my 49 years of life you know on this planet i have seen great progression you know yeah. i i have definitely seen 
great steps forward uh, when it comes to these specific issues. You know, I, you know, like I said, I'll, I, I will not, I will not go as far to say anything is eliminated by hell no. Cause there, there definitely are some people yeah, who course. are just fucking hate people, you know, yeah, yeah. and there's, and there's because they're full of hate, but I can definitely say, and I go out, you know, and, and do my thing, you know, even, you know, you know, pre coronavirus or whatever, you know, like, you know, I definitely see less and less homophobia, homo, so, uh, homophobia, <laughs> less and less racism. And I could go down, you know, down the line, less and less, you know, you know, fat shaming and, and things like that. You know, it's still there because, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of human beings are fucking jerks, you know. It's. I think it will never go away. Anyway, I don't think but, so either. Um, but you know, I also feel like uh, uh, this, those topics, it's getting less. Um, you know. Yeah. Basically, back then, like every bar you went in, like you, you know, you watch a football game and like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you see some old ass guy, like you know, still fought the war and shit, and he is like going off, like. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah crazy yeah yeah and, and that's the thing too i mean like especially when you're going back to like you know like different generations like it's it's not even just a black and white thing at all i mean you know <laughs> it's, it's just us and everybody else is like, yeah and, and everyone against <laughs> that you know they're, they're, you know they're, they're, there's whites who hate blacks there's blacks who hate whites there's yeah. latinos who hate you know whites whites who hate like, latino latinos who hates blacks and yeah. uh now you're talking about europe yeah there's you know dutch who still hate german german yeah. who still hate dutch and then like and we can go on and on and on yeah you know yeah. i mean yeah, that, that, that's still also yeah yeah there's, there's too many the different countries like french hate germans germans hate french and dutch and like it's yeah mixed it's up. all over the place in so many different ways you know and you know and, the fun uh, the fun thing is nobody likes anybody else you know it's like yeah. in europe like the dutch pretty much hate everybody the germans mm. hate everybody the french hate everybody so it's like you can't say like the italians like the spanish or something it doesn't exist like everybody yeah. hates everybody <laughs> i guess i guess i guess when i'm traveling because i'm american and i guess each of these countries that brought me there i guess i don't feel that too much <laughs> and <laughs> no but it's also it's also you know more like this uh, popular the, the like mo let's say like you know the farmer mentality you know oh, oh yeah obviously I mean, okay. if you walk if you walk through berlin or amsterdam and you know you talk to somebody you don't experience that if you move to the countryside maybe then but then you also hear a lot of other stuff which um you know people are yeah not not, not really as no matter what country you go to yeah. you yeah. know exactly and 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 this i i you know i you know definitely will not mention names or anything like that but uh yeah i've definitely heard you know you know in my travels uh some things which did not make me comfortable i let these individuals know it did not make me comfortable and uh that's probably why i probably don't hear this much <laughs> when i'm traveling because i am pretty i i take a pretty hard stand on that shit you know a bit off topic so how did you get into hardcore <laughs> Whoa. well you needed all this background you, right. you, you did uh maybe not all the politics or whatever <laughs> fuck the politics made that song with a really dope producer and artist named mr boss meister 
like this guy very much. He's a, he's a long haired dude. <laughs> yeah, long haired dude, great artist, producer, and also a dear friend. Yeah. To Mr. Bossmeister. Mr. Bossmeister. Nastrovia. <laughs> uh, or, uh, oh, I guess pros. pros. <laughs> so, as I was explaining before we went, before we went on this big tangent, you know, I got, um, you know, I, 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 I kept with the DJing and the emceeing, you know, and by emceeing, I mean, you know, writing my own lyrics and, you know, like, you know, not the MC at a party, you know, like those guys are cool and that's a totally different craft, but I was more like, you know, just, I guess, being a rapper, writing my own rhymes, you know, to be on a song, not so much, you know, to, to be the, 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 the crowd motivator. I mean, if I'm performing, yeah, I'm going to get the fucking crowd jumping and going and say what I got to say. But, and like I said, I'll still do, you know, I do my bass thing. And, but, and so now I started, I put the turntables away, you know, wasn't, uh, and now, now, now I'm focusing more on the, you know, the rapping or the singing in the, the in the metal group. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I completely put the turntables away. And during this time, we're not, not, this now brings me into college. And so the, the, the early or very, well, the very beginning of the nineties, not just early nineties. I, my, I started my fall semester in college in 1989 because I graduated in high school in June of 89. So, you know, it's, it's like 19, now 1990 comes around and, uh, and I have no shame in saying this. Uh, the first time I heard what we were calling techno, which was also referred to as rave music. I like to do Dr. Evil air quotes. <laughs> 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 big fan, big fan. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the first time I actually heard this type of music was on a commercial radio station in New York. It was called Z100. Besides like, you know, they would have like a club night or whatever, or even I think they actually did have it in regular rotation. But there was three songs, or maybe four, uh, L.A. Styles, James Brown is Dead, and Joy's Mind Flux, and T-99's Anastasia. And I believe Human Resources Dominator also got into the mix. And I was like, you know, James Brown is dead. I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is something I've never heard before. Like, Oh my God, this is crazy. <clears throat> and you know, mind flow, you know, mind, Oh my God. Like it's, oh, damn. the music just blew my mind. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I want more of this. I want more of this. And you know, at the time, uh, you know, the, the record stores I went to didn't even have this, this shit yet, you know? And, and then you, you know, you go into like a, a commercial record store, like a, a tower records or a Sam Goody, these most of these songs really don't have any words. Or if you did say James Brown is dead, be like they would probably be like, is he? Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you can't be like, hey, do you got that song that goes wah 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 wah? Like, no, they look probably like call nine one one. This kid's having a seizure. Right. You know? So I just started to like, you know, look where can I find this music, and then uh, I, I I wanted to like also uh dance to this music <clears throat> so you know i was already going to some clubs in the city and by city i mean new york city of course uh 
I mean, what the hell were we going to? I think the underground was there, you know, and uh, Emerald City and some whatever. But I started calling around, like, literally, like, I was looking for, like, uh, a specific piece of hardware or something, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I was calling up Home Depot, like, hey, do you have a, a T-square and a miter saw? But I was, like, calling up clubs. Hey, do you play techno music? And, you know, no, no. Finally, I called this place Limelight. Just called their phone. You play techno? I was like, yeah, we got it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, this place plays techno music. And so I was like, I want to go there. And <clears throat> I went there. And, and Limelight at the time was a place uh, where they had a doorman. And uh, I think they still do this at Burgame uh, today where you need to be picked, you know, to come in, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was very common in uh, New York City nightlife. I think it kind of started with Studio 54, but then it definitely, by the 90s, 80s into the 90s, like Limelight was doing it, Palladium, Tunnel, they all had like doormen. So um, I remember, yeah, sometimes I would get in and sometimes I would not. Uh, But if we didn't, you know, usually what my friend uh, Patrick and I would do, you know, even though we're like, you know, two heterosexual males, we would then tie our shirts up and whatever and then hold hands and walk up. And then we, we, we would get in because, oh, because they didn't want any more hetero boys. They were done for the night. But, you know, yeah. two homosexual guys can come in. So uh, I'm sorry for perpetrating was homosexual, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really want to hear this music this bad. And uh, I love everybody. And, you know, we all partied together anyway. So fuck it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I was like inside this. And it's an old church. It's an old church, like, and that they converted to a club. And, yeah, it's just amazing. And, uh it's the first time I took ecstasy, you know, and that fucking blew my mind, you know, and, you know, ecstasy wasn't, you know, uh, exactly the most popular thing in mainstream that is, uh, you know, today, even, even at this time in the very early nineties, at least for the club scene, it was, you know, you know, more in the gay scene. And again, bring it on. (laughs) Was was, was cocaine still the head of the game or? Cocaine, I, I think, will always be like head of the game. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, whether you're on Wall Street or you're a rock star yeah. or you're just uh, some poor schmuck, yeah, right? yeah. cocaine. I, I, yeah, cocaine will always be around. You know, <laughs> uh, definitely got into that too. And uh, the funny thing is, you know, t- you know, in grammar school and high school and even college. Dude, I was a sober guy like I am today. You know, I'm not saying I didn't have a drink or something like that, but even when I was like president of my fraternity, which is uh, called Teak, Tall Kappa Epsilon, uh, which is the biggest national fraternity in America, I was the Preetness, which is the president. And, uh, you know, I didn't drink, you know, which, you know, I just, or do drugs or anything, you know, uh, which is great, especially when the police came because they got to speak to a, a sane, uh, non-intoxicated person, you know? But when I went here, I was like, I really want to fucking try ecstasy. I, you know, and, uh, so I did. And like, I was blown away and now I heard more music than, you know, like, wow, there's more than James Brown is dead. And the DJ that was playing, 
Uh, on Wednesday nights at Limelight's Disco 2000 was Kiyoki. He always killed it. And on Friday nights, uh, there was a Jeff Mills and repeat. Uh, and I prefer Jeff Mills because uh, Jeff, you know, I mean, he was just this like this black dude and fucking he was scratching, but tech with techno records. I'm like, whoa, like this is like, okay, it's not, he's not, he's, he's mixing, but he's also cutting it up a little. I'm like this. And like, he, he would do this thing when he gets going, like his, his butt starts shaking and he gets a mix going. And it's like, I was like, I was like, this whole fucking, his whole thing just blew my mind. And, you know, I went up to DJ booth to, to ask him what some of these records were. And he was always so gracious. I mean, so nice. You know, he would show it to me, you know, uh, or, or tell it to me, whatever. I keep a mental note or, or I would write down some on some piece of paper and yeah, you know, I remember once, um, there's this record, it's called, uh, it's on 80 ohm and it's called innocent looped fun games. And it's just, it's, pr- it's pretty repetitious with slight changes, but it's just like, do 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 And I, I loved when he played this record and, uh, <clears throat> I went up to say, Oh, what's this? And he had two copies and he just gave me the copy. I'm like, wow, Jeff Mills, like, you know, gave me this vinyl. And, um, Dude, I went home and I was still living with my mother at the time. I think I was like, you know, 20 or 21, maybe 21, I guess 21. Let me deny that. (laughs) (laughs) This one's brought to you again by fuck the politics. (laughs) Um, So Jeff Mills gave me this record uh, and I brought it home. And at the time, this was like one of my favorite records and um, still living at home. And my mother, she's a very sweet woman. She does not curse. I, you know, uh, never heard a curse until this morning. <laughs> I went home and I, I, you know, had my little DJ set up. And uh, I'll, I'll get back to how the turntables came back, but this is good to insert at this moment. You know, uh, <clears throat> I put this record on. I don't know why I did this. It was like five o'clock in the morning. And I turned like it, the, 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 the amp up to 10 and here I am high on E. My mother kicked the door open. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I turned it down. And I was like, do, 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 do. and then uh, and the ecstasy uh, kept me going. <laughs> uh, but so back to, you know, Jeff. So like um, Jeff made me want to DJ again. So seeing what he did made me come home, blow the dust. Oh, by this time, I did acquire Technique's 1200s. Used, Mm. bought them off my boy Mario from down the street, you know, who uh, hooked up my first set of DJ equipment when I was much younger, the SLBD ones, because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Mm. And, uh, but uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, he was more of a mobile, you know, DJ and, but he had a bunch of 1200s and he said, yeah, I'll sell you a pair and, uh, still have them to this day. I, I even checked the catalog, uh, number, uh, or, or yeah, or the, the serial number mm-hmm. and like, they're from like 1979. So I think they're like one of the first ones or something like really, really cool. And so by this time I had a 1200s blew the dust off and I was like, I want to DJ again, you know? And because of Jeff Mills, like he really inspired me. <clears throat> so, but I needed to find more of this music. So finally I found like stores like uh, 
at the time it was called Groove Records, uh, which later became Sonic Groove, which was owned by Frankie Bones, Adam X, uh, Jimmy Crash, and Heather Hart. Uh, maybe they all weren't owners, uh, but they definitely collectively worked there. You know, I think yeah. Frankie and Adam were definitely the owners, but whatever. Point is, them they 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 moved their store to Carmine Street in the city, but then most of my music was being bought in New Jersey at a place called Cafe Sounds by my man Bob Lisi. And uh, <clears throat> I would, uh, at the time, he was more of a, an industrial, you know, place uh, and not the industrial that we talk about in hardcore. We're talking about Sisters of Mercy and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that kind of industrial gothic music as well. And, uh, but he had a small little techno section. And I would find out what the new records were and I would help him order what new records to bring in. And so we had a nice relationship, you know, building that way. And, uh, yeah. So I, um, like, um, you know, so, so then I started like trying to like write some of, you know, this stuff. And at the time I didn't, I, all I had was a Yamaha RX seven, uh, rhythm programmer. And, you know, you really couldn't get a good kick drum out of that, but I did whatever I could to, you know, do, <clears throat> didn't um have a multi-track or anything like that so anything i would make in the beginning i would program on my rx7 and then uh you know mix it down as best as i could from there but i didn't even have a regular mixing console so then i would go stereo like into one of the channels of or maybe even mono i, I really have to i don't even remember into my gemini mixer mm -hmm. and if i wanted to throw a sample in there I would have to scratch the sample like in live from the turntable. And if I was doing a vocal, I would also have to do the vocal live as I'm recording to a cassette, not even a DAP player. Didn't have a, even a DAP player yet. So, uh, but you know, I started to, to do that. And, but I really wanted to like, you know, like I, I started to make these tapes, you know, uh, first just for myself, because, you know, you walk out of a club or whatever, or yeah. in your home or whether you're in the car, you want to hear this music. Yeah. And like I said before, when you were trying to find a, a good compilation somewhere, you, you know, the, the, the CDs were sealed or the tapes were sealed and you couldn't listen to them in, in most stores until I found these other cool stores. But uh, I was already buying all this vinyl myself. So I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to make my own mixtapes, which yeah. I started to do uh, for myself, really. And I, I gave them stupid names like Rob G is on crack. Rob G is on cocaine. The cocaine one was true. You know, <laughs> I think I smoked crack once. Yeah. And I felt very dirty. I was like, Oh, not doing this again. <laughs> What's not your jam? <laughs> nah, the whole, oh, I'm like, okay, I don't feel too good right now. <laughs> Even though I kind of felt great, the, the, the whole procedure, you know, yeah. I, 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 at the time I preferred to the chopping and the snorting and that, that was okay with me, you oh, know, cool. not, not sucking a glass dick. No, <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm old school. I'm old school all the way. <laughs> so, but my friends who, because now I got friends <laughs> uh, at the club, you know, they would have the same problem. They hear this amazing music, but I don't know. For some I know there was mixed tapes around by other DJs, but, you know, either they didn't like everything they played, but they, they liked what I played. So I started copying them for people. 
And I started to get a little, you know, popularity as like, wow, like, yo, yo, you got to listen to this Rob G tape. And even though it wasn't my intention, like to try to like market myself or whatever, I, it wasn't, you know, I was really just making these tapes for myself, but they got around. And to the point where like, you know, this very core crowd of friends, you know, who were fans of my music at the same time, or at least the music I was playing at the same time, because I didn't have a record out yet or anything, uh, were like, you should be playing at Limelight, you know? And like, I was like, really? Like, like yeah, you should fucking be playing here. And <clears throat> I was like, well, I don't know. How am I going to do that? So uh, I knew who the promoter was. He was this guy, uh, Lord Michael, you know? Um, that was his, his club name. His real name is Michael Caruso. He manages Ghostface Killer now. Cool guy. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, not bad. You know, Italian guy from Staten Island, you know, yeah. filling in the blanks. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, love you. <laughs> anyway, I would give, I gave him my tape and he probably didn't listen to it. I definitely didn't get a phone call. But now see, Limelight was open from Tuesday to Sunday. Tuesday was more of the industrial gothic but they also played what we were calling techno the early you know rave music wednesday was disco 2000 kiyoki you know very popular night you know it was uh you know uh you know mostly a gay crowd but like you know everyone was there too uh thursday varied you know was there um but still, that night was controlled by uh, either Lord Michael or, you know, Mark Anthony and Michael Francis. Uh, Friday was Lord Michael's Future Shock, which was like, that was like, I mean, I love Disco 2000. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. Kiyoki's dope. But Lord Michael's Future Shock with Jeff Mills and Repeat was like, that was like yeah. the shit. Saturdays were also dope uh, with Sister Dimension. But they were like, you know, so I, I guess where I'm going. And Sunday was a rock night. That day, so Sunday, which I also went to. And you could go see Biohazard, Life of Agony. I think Slipknot even did a fucking show there in their very, very early days, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was cool because it was like metal in the front and like hip-hop being played by my boy uh, Dominic DeLuca. Shout out to Brooklyn Projects. <laughs> fucking uh, playing dope fucking hip-hop in the back, you know. But <clears throat> so, yeah, where I'm going with this is like Wednesday through Sunday was, you know, a really popular night. Tuesday was popular, but their their promoter, this guy Neville Wells, he's actually not a bad guy, but you know, he, um, I don't mind saying this because it's public knowledge. You know, he had a bit of a drinking problem, you know, and which of course someone like myself sympathizes with. Um, but you know, his deal kind of was like, you know, he would book the shows, book the nights, and for the most part. You know, he would get his drink tickets and go in the back. Of the, it was called the shampoo room, you know, which it, that was, you also had to like, there was a rope there to get into that room. You couldn't just yeah. like, it was kind of like the VIP sort of thing. So, and the DJ was this guy, Tony Fletcher, a nice guy also. But, uh, you know, I kind of saw a bit of a weakness there. I was like, if I'm going to try to pull a scam, it has to be on this night. So... Me and my friend Brian, you know, who also was like, yeah, you can fucking do this, you know. Uh, we drove over to Limelight, like we always would, because, you know, he, him and I would go to this club a lot, to, you know, together. And, uh, you know, he, um, uh, you know, he'd be with me, but I brought my record box this time. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge line down the street, 
I walk right up to the velvet ropes to the doorman, you know, who would sometimes let you in, sometimes wouldn't, security. And I was like, yeah, I'm Rob G. I'm the guest DJ. And I guess because I had a record box, the velvet ropes opened. (laughs) (laughs) And there I was, able to walk right in, you know, and I knew where the employees walked, you know, instead of going upstairs and paying your ticket, you walk like right through this other area. So here I am, I walk right in, you know, not paying. And I'm like, well, this is great. I just like got in the limelight for free by bullshitting and saying I'm the fucking guest DJ to the hottest club in New York city at the time. So now that gets me in the club. That doesn't get me to DJ. So I walk right up to the DJ booth with fucking balls, this fucking big, maybe even fucking bigger. (laughs) And I go up to this nice guy, Tony Fletcher, who's spinning and just say, hi, how you doing, Tony? I'm uh, the guest DJ for tonight. And he's looking at me like puzzled, like, well, like what are you talking about? I'm like, uh, so I played a little poker. I'm like, oh, Neville hired me. You want me to go get him? And he's like, no, no. If Neville hired you, no problem. You know, like, when do you want to go on? And I was like, yeah, like one, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, back then, time slots were very casual. It wasn't like today, 12 to 1, 1 to 2. It was like, yeah, anyway, so. He let me go on there, and I told a bunch of my core friends and fans you know, at the time uh, that I was going to be pulling this maneuver. So they mm-hmm. went there, even though it was a Tuesday night, and they might have work the next day, uh, that I was going to do this. And they they, they so, wanted to see your ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am, 1 o'clock, and I get on the microphone, which, again, wasn't that common for a DJ to do. Yeah. Like, you know... You know, there there was even MCs, they were there, like MC Romeo Romeo, who wasn't there on Tuesdays, really. He was on the, the weekend, you know, who I also did, you know, ride in New York with. Shout out to Romeo Romeo. But fucking, um, it wasn't as common as it is, like, in the hardcore, hard style. Or, or, Especially well, EDM. Well, well, yeah, well, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, as far as, like, yeah, D, yeah, oh, yeah. Would the DJs do it themselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, not, not, com- yeah, not common at all. So here I am announced, but I want everyone to know who the fuck was playing, you know? So I do it. I do my thing. <clears throat> now, it's, 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 it's good to point out at this moment, uh, there was a guy doing the lights. His name's Arthur Weinstein, you know, you know, rest in peace, Arthur. Great guy. Now, Arthur's, Quick little backstory. He used to own this club, The World. He was also, he's one of New York's biggest fucking social lights and fucking awesome, legendary person, people from that era, you know? Yeah. You know, he, something happened, I forget exactly what, at his club. And he didn't have it no more. So the owner of Limelight, Peter Gation, let him do the lights, you know, at uh, Limelight, which he loved and he loved the music and he knew good fucking music. He took me on the side and he's like old school fucking New York. And, you know, you know, you know, kind of like, you know, grab me here. He's like, I know you're full of shit, but I want to see what the fuck you got. So he never blew up my spot. And I thank you to this day. So I started to do this like every other Tuesday or whatever. And, you know, Fucking, uh, you know, uh, yeah. And then sometimes on a Friday, because I was already doing this, you know, uh, my boy, Joey Rave, who was also playing on Lime, uh, Limelight's Future Shock on Friday, would let me play like a couple records. Uh, Sister Dimension would let me play a couple records on Saturday. But I'm pulling my own 
scam sets on this Tuesday night. Well, anyway, uh, fast forward, uh, Sister Dimension, uh, the Saturday night DJ, was gonna, which was a guy, by the way. Uh, cool name. Fucking cool name. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, fucking great dude. Great fucking dude. Um, he uh, was going to go on uh, some holiday or something. So Lord Michael, who also uh, was the director of the club and ran that night, was going to replace the, the uh, sister mentioned for that evening only with five DJs. Well, I was like, let's make it six. So what I did, same maneuver. I show up on a Saturday. But you have to realize, now I've been doing this on a Tuesday for so long, I show up at the Velvet Ropes on a Saturday. You know, the door people, they're like, yo, gee, you playing tonight? Like, yeah, they're like, about time they gave you a Saturday night. <laughs> and <clears throat> so I march up to the DJ booth. And again, it was a different time than it was today. Usually all the DJs would be there, aside from the opening DJ, you know, uh, he would be there before the club opens. But everyone else would kind of get there right after the club opened from like 10 o'clock or whatever. And you just, I don't know, even though there's five of us, you kind of just decided, hey, when do you want to play? Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like, you know, oh, one to two and you must stop. Like, if you wanted mm-hmm. to go to 210 or what, as long as you didn't get greedy and no one did at that time, um, you just kind of like figure your time slots out. So it was very loose the way it was. It was, it was cool. So, but remember, there's only supposed to be five of us, you know, and I made number six. So I'm playing again in the heart of the night. It was like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, something like this. And, um, lying around the corner, thousands of people on the floor. Now here comes Lord Michael who does care about his night. Who's not fucking off in the shampoo room or whatever. And, he hits me on the fucking shoulder and he's like, who the fuck are you? I'm like, I'm Rob G. He's like, who the fuck is Rob G? I'm like, that's me. And again, old school Italian, like, old school Italian, like, are you getting wise with me, bro? You getting wise with me? I'll break your fucking face, you know? <laughs> I didn't get to break your fucking face part. <laughs> but he did say you're getting wise with me. I was like, no, man. And, he, and he's like, but then he's like, look at the other DJs. Which one of these jerk offs is letting you play? I go, no one. I go, uh, I'm just kind of playing. Now you have to realize the crowd's going crazy. So he went to his little chair where it was like a perch where he could look over the crowd and he's seeing good results. But, you know, he's keeping a very serious face and uh, I'm playing. And then I got done and he starts to walk away. Doesn't say shit to me, but I stop him and I give him my like business card, which uh, was given to me by my mother. And I love you, mom, but for, I guess, a club DJ was probably like a a horrible card. It was a little white car with musical notes that said, hi, I'm Rob G. Let me entertain you. Like, like, um, I I don't suggest any mobile DJ getting this card either. However, I got a thousand of them and I hand all 1000 out and, uh, thank you, mom, for those beautiful cards. So Lord Michael got one of these cards (laughs) and he just looked at it and put it in his pocket. And I'm like, fuck. I was like, I, I was like, I'm thinking the worst. I'm like, I'm gonna be banned from my club and just 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 to go. Forget about even playing anymore. So that Tuesday, you know, I used to sleep in a lot. Now I wake up very early, but I used to sleep in a lot. Uh, you know, I get a phone call, you know, dring, dring, and I'm like, hello. And like, Rob G. I'm like, yeah, who's this? He's like, Michael. I go, Michael who? He's like, Michael Lord. 
And I, I'm like, who the fuck's Michael Lord? He's like, Lord Michael. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize in the morning or daytime he reverses his name from mm. Michael Lord to Lord Michael. So he's like, Lord, I'm like, oh, fuck. He's like, listen, uh, I hear you've been playing at my club for like the last uh, few months and uh, when you're not <laughs> supposed to be. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. He's like, well, how would you like to do it for real? I go, yeah. I go, he's like, your name's already on the flyer. You start this Friday. You're doing my night, Lord Michael's Future Shock. And that was my first official gig at Limelight just by doing that fucking maneuver. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, exactly. That's really what happened. And um, to go with that story, to answer your question further. Um, well, one hour in, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to do two parts, but uh, yeah. I guess. <laughs> is, so, you're going to love this because. So every, everybody who's listening now is very curious. How did you get into hardcore? <laughs> yeah. I, I hope they enjoyed that as well. Right. <laughs> So, but here, I mean, because I'm about to tell you how my first hardcore record came about. So, during this same period of time, you know, okay, now I'm playing Limelight, you know, and people are starting to know who I am as a DJ. I'm getting a little fan base. Well, Lord Michael had a, a label called Vortex Records. And uh, on his label, he had a group called Equinox. Equinox was Repeat and Damon Wild. Uh, And, you know, from my understanding, uh, you know, Damon Wilde, like, you know, did all the producing, but Repeat was the popular DJ at the time. So collectively, they were, they were a good team. They played Mayday in 1992, and, uh, and Damon and I were really close. Mm -hmm. But during this period of time also, Lord Michael came up with a concept because uh, a cold, because like, okay, now the term techno, okay, it's still being used. But now we're starting to hear the terms. This is like 1992. Now we're starting to hear terms like trance and breakbeat and hardcore being used more. Not you know, not just the over parent you know genre of, of techno. Even hardcore techno. Gabber was even starting to get thrown around because you started to hear this where you know a popular record was you know I mean a lot of popular records, but one that really stood out during this time was Euro Euromasters. Uh, you know and um so lord michael says let's make not to me <laughs> i want to be clear about this but to you know repeat and damon let's make a label called war and the concept is going to be we're not going to put anyone's fucking name on it you know uh we're just gonna you know uh put war one and uh you know, and not tell anybody who it is, but the whole concept is we're just going to diss someone, you know? Sounds like so, a pretty I, stupid concept to me. Well, this, is, this was their concept, their concept. Fucking marketing genius. <laughs> so, Repeat and Damon went in the studio and took the most popular target at the time made a record called Rotterdam is full of shit. <laughs> They even sampled it Rotterdam and then took this other record from, uh, I think it was from Mark Akadabay. It was full of shit. Rotterdam. It was, and, you know, musically, it's actually not a bad record. I don't agree with what's being said, but musically, it's not a bad record. So, dude, this label comes, this record comes out 
with no one's name on it, it causes a shit storm. You have to realize, like, Paul Elstack and Headbanger have already performed at Limelight as Holy Noise. And, uh, you know, there was Mac DeHay was uh, playing there from Rotterdam already. Uh, uh, I think maybe even under Nation, Underground Nation or Rotterdam. Uh, I mean, so they, and there was a lot. And here's the thing. Everyone loved the Rotterdam records, including these two guys, and including Lord Michael. Let, let me ask you something about that. Why did they went after them? When the uh, did the, those guys something wrong or no. piss them off, or was it just like no. okay, let's let's um, like let's take the biggest guy and knock him out, or okay, it was well, yeah, it was like it's kind of like so there was nothing you know, personal, nothing happened. No, no. not at all. They <laughs> love Rotterdam Records. They love Rotterdam. They love Rotterdam Records. Okay, it's kind of like I guess it was like um, well, no, it's not the same thing. But I was gonna say like. You know, people always say, like, you know, when you're first starting and you, like, people start talking about haters, until you get popular, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, everyone loves you. And, uh, you know, yeah. like, then you get popular. Here comes the haters. Yeah. Well, this wasn't really that because they actually were big fans of Rotterdam Records. Mm -hmm. Everyone was. Everyone loved the Rotterdam Records, you know? So it was just a goof. It was just a goof. It was, like, yeah. really just to start shit. But, like, <laughs> like from a marketing perspective, right. you know? Um, but so now they hence, the hence not putting a name on the record. So exactly. Okay. Exactly. They, they, I think it was like war one, La Cosa Nostra, the black hand. And I even think on the flip side, there was a picture of Mussolini. <laughs> oh I, I got the record over here somewhere. We'll, 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 I'll grab the freeze necklace and I'll grab the, the record so you could take a shot and maybe edit if, it in later. If, if you see it later, just send me a picture. I'm gonna bring it in the in the okay. video. Okay. Yeah, yeah, send me a picture of that. We'll do that. We'll do that. Video. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so now this record comes out, and it causes a shitstorm. Uh, you know, between Rotterdam and New York, because you could see the record came from New York, where it was pressed and everything. You know, but here's the thing. During this time in New York rave scene, in the New York rave scene, most people either went to Lord Michael's Future Shock or they went to Frankie Bones' Storm Rave. So you had this underground rave scene with Frankie Bones and his crew, and then you had the club rave scene with Lord Michael. Some went to both, but there was kind of like a bit of a divide, definitely between the DJs. Like, there wasn't so much love going on between Lord Michael and Frankie Bones and repeat and Frankie Bones and the yeah. whole thing. So I believe Paul Alstack, you know, DJ Paul, DJ Paul, make it fucking louder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe he might've been the one who called or someone from our, I, I probably was the one because at the time he was still working at Midtown records, you know, just selling records and at, 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 at Midtown while at the same time he was the A&R, I believe for Rotterdam records. So I believe it was Paul, but it might be someone else from Rotterdam records calls the pressing plant and wants to know who made this. And, you know, they're like, well, we don't give out that information. And, you know, from my understanding, Lord Michael blamed it on Frankie bones and Adam X and those guys. And Frankie Bones and X, who were innocent, were like, we didn't do this, you know? And they didn't even blame, I don't even think they even blamed back, like, because they just didn't know, you But know? I can't imagine there haven't been too many people around at that time anyway who could pull off a record True. like that. So it 
kind of would narrow it down already or not. True, but without the hard evidence, you really yeah. can't, yeah, you know, true. even though it maybe it I'm sure they were thinking it's either Lord Michael and repeat or it's, you know, Frankie Bones and Adam X, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that, you know, but they didn't have both are denying. Yes. Well, Adam X, you know, uh calls up the pressing plant but starts bullshitting. He's like, yeah. Uh, let me hang that up. So, yeah. <laughs> pause. <laughs> so, what happened was, so Adam X now calls up um, the pressing plant. And, you know, he's got a very harsh Brooklyn accent. He's like, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I don't know, like Paul, uh, Paul Mariani from uh, Sony Records. And uh, you press the record and it's uh, got a bunch of our samples on. So, we need to know you know, who we need to sue. And if you don't tell us, you know, we're going to sue you. Anyway, the pressing plant gave up the number and the address. And it just so happened to match the number and address of Lord Michael's office, you know, at the Palladium, I believe, you know? Yeah. And so now, yeah, you, you know, it's coming from the Lord Michael and repeat camp. This Rotterdam is full of shit record. So now, I mean, even though there's no internet and all that, you know, you still hear things, you know, from like just just people talking and rumbling that like, yo, like like Rotterdam is fucking pissed, you know, like really pissed. And like for someone who's like supposed to be like, you know, the the hardcore DJ, you know, on Lord Michael's Future Shock, you know, like, you know, repeat was getting like very, very concerned, you know, Damon, not so much. You know, he does his thing more like in a techno-y, acidy, experimental. Like he, he didn't, and he didn't, he just didn't give a fuck anyway. You know, right. uh, but repeat was like he was Mr. Hardcore, so you, you you're not hearing good things like you know, like like Rotterdam is fucking pissed, and <clears throat> he was getting very concerned, very nervous. Now, at the time, like you know, Damon and I, like you know friends and you know we're palling around and i was like you know man i want to i want to do a joke to repeat and he's like what do you want to do and we were in staten island you know where damon was living at the time and repeat also i was like dude i want to make a diss record back to you guys but as but i'm gonna say i'm someone from rotterdam records like but it was just supposed to be a joke yeah. like you know like like something that was going to make to play to be like, Oh bro. And like, and just, just to fuck with him, you know? So <clears throat> when we went to Damon's studio, cause it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, closer. And, um, you know, we went in there and he's like, well, what do you, what do you want to do now? You have to realize at the time, the fastest records were really like 160 BPMs. So I was like 195. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> I don't know, I know that's, that's even possible. <laughs> you're like, what, what do you mean 195 beats a minute? And I go, yeah. I go, it's 195. It has to be. I was like, if Slayer can play 195, 200, this song's going to be 195. And he's like, okay. Uh, and then he's like, well, what, what about the kick drum? And I just like went, he had a soundcraft board and I went like over to his, uh, sound crap or and just turned the game completely up where red lines like whoa what the fuck you doing you know <laughs> he's like no 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 
And dude, even though this was going to be a joke, you know, Damon's like, bro, let's just go get a, a little Mackie board, you know? So for this record, it was just a little eight track Mackie, but they, you know, well, you have that. The they, they've been afraid whatever. that you blow up the preamp or. He was afraid I was going to fry his channel on the Soundcraft. So he's like, you can overload it on this Mackie as much as you want. And then we'll send that signal to the Soundcraft board. Yeah. So, uh, so we grabbed the Mackie and, uh, yeah, I turned it all the way up and it, it went, it made the 909, you know, real 909 in the house, you know, got one over here too. Nine <laughs> bitches. Nine <laughs> nine bitches. My 909. So, uh, you Love know, that I, record, I by the way. What's that? Love that record. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Really good. Thank you. Took it back, son. <laughs> for, 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 for the people who are listening now, Rob G just released a new track called My 909, right? Yeah, My 909. Yeah, really cool. Really cool. Thank with you, brother. A lot Thank of you. different old and new style kicks. That's what I wanted to do. I want to meld it all together, you know, yeah. and if you listen to the verse, you know, I mean, you know. And, and of course, like, like the open hi-hat, like... Oh. We don't hear that too often anymore, yeah. so that was good to hear it. <laughs> Absolutely. I like yeah. a good open hi-hat, you yeah. know? <laughs> I like a good open hi-hat. So anyway, you know, I, you know, I, I, I turned up like the, uh, the attack and the decay and the volume, but then, you know, which changes the, the sound, of course, of, of the 909 itself somewhat, but not as drastic as when I went to the Mackie put the bass as far as I can go, uh, the mid-range as far as I could go, kept the, the treble at 12, but turned the gain all the way up. And Damon's just looking at me like, dude, you think that sounds good? Boom, boom, boom. It went from boom, boom, to boom, boom. I'm like, yeah, it sounds fucking great. So now we got the kick drum. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, well, first we're going to play the beginning of your record. It's Equinox record. So you pl I play this, you know, and I speed it up. I did it with my hand. I just spit it up and I went, bruh, 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 and then did like a little like a forward spin, you know? Yeah. And he's like, okay, you got that. He's like, now what do you want to do? I was like, I was like, I, I need to, I need to say something. He's like, well, I don't have a microphone. I was like, uh, well, give me your headphones. So we plugged the headphones into the microphone jack. Classic. And I'm actually <laughs> sitting on like a, a, a swivel seat at this time. So if you if you listen to this record, which I'll name in a little while, you can actually even hear me kind of like turning on the on the chair. But so I was such a big fan of the Euromasters Alsna Clote. And also this is supposed to be a joke from Rotterdam back to repeat and Lord Michael and Damon for this Rotterdam is full of shit record. I'm getting like that into my psyche. Well, this is how it's supposed to be, you know. You know, I didn't say it was Euromasters who did it or anything like that. I, I was, I, I don't know what I was going to say, but this is the, 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 the mind space I'm in. So the same way, you know, in Euromasters where they're like, Ratadam, Amsterdam, you know, and hey, Dimitri. I just, and this is the first time I did the Rob G voice that we all know today. Because <clears throat> I was, I guess I was maybe trying to do my own take on this guy a little bit or something, or just try to sound foreign. I start calling out everyone who's involved with Vortex Records and them. So I was like, Ulol Michelle, Ulanlight, Ul Vortex Records, Ul Money Penny, Ul Damon Wild, Ul Haha, Esau, Director Ripi, Tashvent Lota! And then 
Here comes the 195 kick drum. Bum, 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 bum. Open high hat, blah, blah. And then I stop. The same way the Euromaster record goes, you know, I forget exactly what he says. I was, but, but also, also close to boom, boom. I stopped the record. A repeat. Donis Klockenstein. And build it up. And then there was like a minute and a half of that. So, again, this was supposed to be a prank. That's yeah. all it was supposed to be. So now we got this recording on cassette. Again, not trying to make a record here. You know, just a prank. And I call up repeat. I'm like, bro, Rotterdam found out. They're like, what, what, what do you mean? I was like, dude, they found out that <laughs> you and Damon and Mike did this Rotterdam is full of shit record. I just went to Cafe Sounds and, and got the record. I go, I go, bro, there's a cartoon of like the limelight. Lord Michael's being hung on a cross. Uh, you're getting your ass kicked by some dude with wooden shoes. Damon's getting <laughs> fucked by a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Money Penny is being spun around on a windmill, or you know, I was like every stereotype. I could <laughs> every stereotype in there, yeah. Now, mind you, I've never been to Holland. Holland doesn't even know who the fuck I am at this point. Like I said, all these words, this is me just speaking shit out yeah, of my ma- mouth, making shit from, up, just making shit up, just yeah. making shit up. The funny thing is, though, when I said the even though I was making up a word which I knew nothing about the Dutch language. I did want to say like, Hey, repeat, suck my balls, you know? And from what I'm told, I came close, even not knowing anything. I think it's Tosa Meklota or something like that. It's it's very close, but I did not know that. I did not know that at all. I just came up with Dutch Meklota and that's it. So I was like, yeah, Pete, I go, they found out, I go, listen to this. And I start playing the record and he's going to show that I'm not being used, blah, blah, blah. And you can hear, like, in his voice, like, oh, 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 well, that's a good record. That's a, uh, <laughs> okay, so that, that's, that's, that's a good record. And, uh, okay, all right. So they, they, they answered, and uh, uh, I, I, I guess we'll answer back, you know, but uh, uh, oh, it's a good record, you know. <laughs> and we hang up. Now we're going to go meet Pete for pizza. So, me and Damon drive. We meet Pete at the, with his pizza place in Staten Island. And, of course, this is the subject. We're talking about this amazing Rotterdam record that just fucking tore Rotterdam is full of shit, a new asshole, you know? And, like, and we're, like, up in the game, like, bro, I don't think you'll ever get to play in Holland. I, I mean, yeah. these people obviously hate you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like this, you know, the, the, they went back hard, you know? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, listen to that kick drum and, like, you know, like, saying all this shit, you know? And, um, and not to pat myself on the back, just because we really want to, like, fuck with his head. Finally, me and Damon just could not stop we couldn't hold it in. We just started laughing. And uh, so, and, he, and Pete's like, well, why are you guys laughing? I'm like, oh, bro. I go, it, it, it's not Rotterdam. I go, I go, I go, Rotterdam might know that you, it's, it came from, you know, the Lord Michael limelight camp, but they, they don't really know exactly what's going on. I go, I did this. He said, what do you mean you did this? I go, I just did it at Damon studio just now. You know, yeah. he's like, come on. I was like, and then I was like, and he was like, his mind was just blown that holy shit. And he's like, bro, that's like incredible. 
Like, you know, and I don't know if this was a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It was earlier in the week. We went to Limelight that Friday. You know, we're both playing. Uh, you know, he's still the main dude uh, at that time. And, uh, dude, we took this cassette of this prank, you know, which was like a minute and a half long. Stopped the other music and just played it from the beginning. Bro, the crowd went crazy. Full house at Limelight, thousands of people. Place went fucking nuts. They went so nuts, we, as soon as the tape stopped, we rewound it. <laughs> played it again. The MC Romeo's piping up the crowd even more and just played it again. The crowd went crazier. So after that, Pete was like, dude, I want to start a record label with this. Uh, you know, so, you know, you know, through Damon, he was connected to these guys, Tommy Musto from Musto and Bones and Dangerous on the Dance Floor. And this guy, Silvio Trancredi, God rest his soul. He passed away too. But they had a company called Northcott. So they were able to do like the, a P&D deal, press and distribute, you know, mm-hmm. for 12-gauge records. Now there's going to be this new New York label. My boy, uh, Sensei Aoki, Francis Tiangson, uh drew the artwork on it. And it's like this executioner guy with a, with a 12-gauge shotgun, of course. And um, so Pete was like, go back in the studio and make an actual version. So I went in and I made the version that is now there today. And uh, yeah, um, when I did it, they didn't um, want me to call myself Rob G because they, they said it sounded too hip hop. And you know, I, I really didn't like that, you know. So I was being sarcastic when I came up with a name. I was like, well, come on, I want to be Rob G. Like, you, you can't, it's too rap. And I was like, oh, call me fucking Riot Squad. They're like, oh, Riot Squad, that's good. You know, we like Riot Squad. And I was like, oh. So this is now my pseudonym, Riot Squad. So you know, this is not me, Neo, fighting TM. This is 19, end of 92, beginning of 93. Riot Squad at that moment with this record is just Rob G, you know, yeah. you know, by himself. So, you know, as a precaution, I actually stuck my name in the record. So at the very end, I'm like, yeah, Rob G and Tommy Gunn. Hardcore has just begun. I'm Tommy Gunn was just my good friend who I called Tommy Gunn, and he rhymed. So that <laughs> rhymed. So he's in there. I love him to death. He, you know, we we drove to a lot of clubs together, but had nothing to do with the actual okay, record. Okay. You know, just just because it rhymed. Oh, dude, I used to do that too. I used to put my friends' names like like in records, yeah. like engineered by or uh, produced, like like just to why like, not? Make, yeah. yeah, why not? They had yeah. nothing to do with music at all, too. Yeah. You know, you know, and I would just I would just do that. Um, but so anyway, uh, I make this record. And, uh, and, uh, the, the, the test pressing is coming. Well, actually before that, there's, it's good to point out. Damon was like, you know, you know, yeah, they're doing 12 gauge records, but industrial strength is really the New York hardcore label who has worldwide no- no- notoriety. And I didn't know Lenny D that well, but I knew him. I respected him very much, love what he was doing. And so, you know, with, Damon's advice, I went to Lenny to show him this song. He loved the song. He fucking loved it. But he's like, I can't touch it. He's like, I don't know what you're saying. I was like, I'm not saying anything. He's like, yeah, but it sounds like you're saying something. And, you know, it sounds like you're saying something. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't want people to think that I'm making fun of them. So I, 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 I can't. I love the regular. I, I can't be a part of it. 
I respected it, you know. So then we did the 12 gauge record instead. You know, the test pressings come out, everyone's fucking loving it. And so it was the the artist name I used was Riot Squad. The name of the song, I took the word nonsense and I tried to make it sound foreign. So instead of nonsense, I went from nonsense to nonchalance and then nonchalant to stocking. And that is how I got that. And then in parentheses, ode to vortex because it's like a diss to fucking vortex, you know, even though it wasn't my diss to diss back, you know. So basically, my verse vinyl, which got licensed as track number one on Thunderdome 3, you know, my record was the retaliation record for the Rotterdam is full of shit record, even though I'm not from Rotterdam. Yeah. <laughs> and during this time, I, I like now I'm telling this story, but at the time, I didn't tell this story because no one still definitely knew that the Rotterdam is full of shit record was by repeat or Mike. So I'm not a rat. So I didn't want to, you know, but whatever it's, 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 this is, this is good history for fucking people to know. And, uh, I don't think anyone gives a fuck, right? I know Lord Michael definitely doesn't give a fuck, you know, you know, about, about the, the, these stories, but, but at the time, and the reason I bring this up is this, this was not a known thing. People all over the world just thought I made this record and I'm just some crazy man speaking with these made up words and there's no, there there wasn't actually a reason to it. So ironically enough, my not knowing any of this, my first international booking is from DJ Paul, (laughs) the guy who I'm actually him and his crew who I'm for Midtown slash Rotterdam records for a nightmare in Rotterdam number four. And yeah, my record came out in 93. My first international gig was March of 1994 in Rotterdam at the legendary energy hall, one room, 10,000 gabbers, 10,000 hobbers going crazy, doing the beginnings of the crazy dance that we all see today, the haka that we all fucking love. You know, I can't do it well, but it's really cool to look at. It was cool to look at then. It's cool to look at now. And so, yeah, ironically enough, you know, the guy who gives me my first international booking is also the guy I was defending, even though he didn't know I was the defending him and, uh, you know, the rest of Rotterdam records. And And you actually weren't defending, you were made a joke. Well, it was a joke. Yes. I wasn't actually, Oh yeah. How dare you do something to Rotterdam? Yeah. It was a joke. And the whole beef to start with was also just a goof so they didn't have yeah exactly the whole thing was a goof one one big goof yeah you know (laughs) and uh yeah exactly so yeah between that show and the fact that that track got licensed as track number one on thunderdome three and house party eight and all these other big compilations at the time and like i remember lenny was like you know even before i got that international gig Lenny D was coming back from, he, he went to Europe before I did. He was coming back and telling me about all my heroes who I never met yet. These were people who I just loved already, but I didn't know their music. I, mean, I didn't know them personally yet. He's like, Rob, Rob, bro, everybody's playing your record. The Prophet, Charlie Low Noise, Mental Theo, Gizmo, Buzzfeed. He's like, if someone, if Dono ends with your record, Gizmo will start with your record. That's how much people are loving your record. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, and then I went over there, did my thing, and uh, 
yeah, it uh, changed the game. I mean, fuck, it just went fucking, uh, I went from this to this, like in a matter of like, like months or whatever. And then I, ever since then, I, I haven't looked back. I've been traveling the world since and all the records that came after that, Gabber Up Your Ass, Sex Jaws and Gabber House. Of course, later on, Ecstasy You Got What I Need, you know, and um, which was actually, you know, just because it has to do with that voice. After I did the, the Riot Squad record with the Dutchman and all that, I didn't continue to use that voice. I used many different voices, you know, uh, you know, in, in many different records. But when I went to do Ecstasy You Got What I Need, um, I um, first sang it more like, I was having a bad day, nothing's going my way, or some shit like that. And I, I was like, this sounds fucking stupid. You know, I was like, I was like, it's so, too... Uh, uh, because it sounded fucking stupid, you went full retard and did that voice, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, I, I still love the idea. I, I want to do this. I was like, but my, this, my serious voice is just too serious for this song. Yeah. But I was like, I can't just start singing this voice out of nowhere. So that's why in the beginning of Exorcist, you got what I need. I go, oh, 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 wrong song. You know, yeah. it was to say that, oh, I was about to shout out the Riot Squad song. And now I go into this, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, uh, craziness, you know, it's, it's a, that's, that's, that's a, I know it's a very long answer from your question, but uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I think those, those, You know, the main points of it, yeah, how some, I got the some history. limelight and that particular record on how that happened, because yeah. that really did, you know, send me into the stratosphere of the hardcore world, you know, yeah, you know who knows today. without that record, what would have happened if they didn't decide to, you know, fake diss someone, you know, and if I didn't get the idea to fake diss them back on behalf of someone else who didn't know who the fuck I was yeah. as a joke, who knows what would have happened. Right. So. Crazy times. All right. This is it. It was a very long, very detailed piece of his history with a lot of other interesting information about what was going on back then, how things were handled back then, and all that good stuff. So I hope you really enjoyed it. If you're in need for sounds and samples, definitely check out generalgeibel.com. This podcast is for free, but if you feel you want to support it somehow, get yourself some nice sounds. I got presets for Serum, Silent One, Rob Pop and Raw, I got kick packs and I got even a free pack. So if you don't have it, definitely get it now. Okay, this is it for this week. Next week we continue our interview with Rob G talking about production, hardcore nowadays, his little journey into the world of Frenchcore and much more. Stay tuned, stay safe. I see you next week. Bye bye.